welcome back to another episode of Rock Me Dead. My name is Wendell Harsey, and as always, I'm joined by Errol Parker to wrap up another huge week in the sport of rugby union. Errol, how are you? Mate, I'm all right. I've been a lot richer, though, for all the uh, rugby action that's been on the TV at the moment. Um, It's good to see the Springboks get up. Uh, Good to see the Fijians have a win against the Bloody Kiwis. Always love that. I actually tuned in for my first game of uh, Major League Rugby over in America to watch the LA Guiltinis. I watched um, Gitto and Adam Ashley Cooper bow out of their rugby careers. It's a very odd place to finish up, but, you know, it's... uh, (laughs) The Coliseum over there in LA. The end of two very, very illustrious careers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, good on him for going out on a win. So I'll touch on that. Yeah, touch on the uh, the Sevens campaigns for the Aussies and the upcoming Bledisloe series, the year we finally break that multi-decade drought against the Kiwis. But we'll start off with the Lions, I think, this week. Errol, what do you make of that riveting, enthralling end-to-end clash? Well, I know that last week we were harping on about, you know, these two teams are stuck playing a very Northern Hemisphere style of rugby, but uh, having watched the game, I think they might be listeners of this uh, humble podcast out of the Diamond Tennis Shire because uh seem as they were spreading it far and wide, like mm. it's butter mixed with yeah, Vegemite yeah, yeah. on a piece of rye bread. Not too dissimilar from the Fiji Sevens, really, the style of footy they played um, over there in South Africa on Saturday night. 1-1, they've levelled up the series, and... Uh, you could say one game to the British and Irish Lions, one game to Razzie Erasmus, Razzie Latham, maybe, as we should know him. He um, he seemed to have the referees scared, running on edge from the South African players there over the weekend. Yeah, look, I could see that coming. Mm. I'd say he's probably one of the more intimidating characters in world rugby. I certainly, in a, as his role as you know the director of rugby at... Mm. Rugby Union South Africa. I don't think you get to be uh, in that position by being a bit of a pushover, if you know what I mean. Yeah, 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 for sure. He's he's certainly been flexing. If you missed this one, Razzie Erasmus, he was a coach who won the World Cup with the Springboks there a couple of years ago. He's now the director of rugby. After that first Lions game, he decided he was going to hop on the computer, set the webcam up in his um, dark little room, and decided to post an hour-long video going berserk at the referees, picking apart all their decisions, basically saying that they robbed the Springboks of that first game, the Lions did. And so, yeah, he posted this whole whole spiel on Nick Berry, the Aussie referee. It's caused shockwaves around the world. World Rugby's had to come out and say they're going to hold an independent investigation. They've demanded Razzie and South African rugby front up because it's it's pretty full on to have your director of rugby just decide he's going to go live for an hour and just talk so much shit about the referees. Rugby Australia had to come out and defend Nick Berry, actually, and um, New Zealand did so as well, which was nice to see. Well, look, mate, it wouldn't be the first time we've seen unhinged behaviour coming from a South African sportsman, I mean, you know. <laughs> but, you know, in saying that, it's obviously not the first time that an Australian's, uh, you know, their actions while abroad haven't been called mm. into into disrepute by a number of people. But look, it's always going to be the uncontrollable variable in any game of rugby union is the referees. I mean, you can go out and prepare your best and basically dot all of your I's, cross your T's and, you know, you've prepared as well as you can to take on the opponents and then you go out there and then the refs just fuck you. Yeah. I can understand where Razzie's coming from. Perhaps posting an hour-long rant in a dark hotel room with your laptop's web camera. Probably not the best course of action, but, you know, 
South Africans not the most rational people. You know, they are, you know, very hot-blooded, very quick mm. to react. Um, Particularly after a loss. Yeah, and I just think this is one of those things where we're in a bit of a lull here at the moment. We're in the, a bit of, you know, I guess you'd call it the rugby doldrums. Mm. Um, when these big internationals are on, there's a really scarcity of rugby news. And I think that, you know, Razzie doing this has really done his bit to at least keep the sporting code in the back pages of newspapers in every rugby nation in the world. Yeah, it's caused a little bit of scandal. That's what the game needs. Some headlines, some narratives That's off the field. And, and as you said, as Wallabies fans, we're used to it. You know, I feel like posting hour-long videos after every single Bledisloe Cup match. But um, I'm just an armchair pundit. You know, the same as you see all these comments online, social media forums, all that sort of stuff. Everyone's got their opinion. Everyone's posting rants about the referees, the players, all that sort of stuff. But yeah, as the director, the the bloke in charge of rugby and the bloke who's uh, running the organisation, yeah, probably not the the best look, as you said recording that video from his hotel room so it'll be interesting to see what world rugby finds when they have that inquiry i hope though that the referees come out this weekend and they're not afraid to make some calls because there were some interesting no calls there like ches and colby really probably should have been red carded took um connor murray's legs out in the air fell on his like he did end up on his head um most of the time i reckon you'd see that a red card but the rest looked fairly fairly scared to make those calls so it'll be interesting to see what happens in this um this decider this weekend, 1-1, one, one, everything's on the line, whether the referees uh, decide to just make calls. Because they were spending like five minutes on every single decision. Apparently the longest yeah. game of rugby ever played without extra time. Yeah, it was like 115 minutes or something, wasn't it? Yeah, it was just going on forever. It was almost like the bloody director's cut of Lord of the Rings. It was going <laughs> on for that long. but Godfather. But I'll tell you what, though. Applying the same rules as what we've applied to South Africa here... Do you think if the referees in World Rugby in general were more intimidated by, you know, the likes of Hamish, Clennon and whatnot, <laughs> that they might have been, uh, you know, less inclined to give Corabetti a red card um, last yes. game against France? Yeah. yeah, yeah, I think that should be the strategy going forward is... Um Dave Rennie should be jumping online anytime we get a bad call and he should be posting these videos until YouTube deplatform him or Facebook deplatform him. You know, he should just be going as Which hard as he can. Which is just a matter of time. Mm, yeah, the it, way these it, things it's go. It's just a matter of time. Till they get Sky Newsed and Alex Jones. But um, yeah, maybe yeah, that's the way look, forward. But look, back to the game though. I know we can talk about what Razzie did until the cows come home and, you know, how the. The referee at the last game, Ben O'Keefe, you know, a bit of a track record, but we won't go into it there. I thought it was interesting, though. We do have, um, there were 25 penalties in this game. Mm. 25. Yeah, they're just playing ridiculous for him. him. Yeah, as Ian Foster, the coach of the All Blacks, said, this game put me to sleep. Yeah, I mean, like, I reckon if you were a fit and healthy young man, you could have watched this game and held your breath in between penalties and not died. (laughs) Yeah, wall squats in between kicked penalty goals yeah. as well. Yeah, it was ridiculous. As soon as it's like, time on, you hold your breath, and then three or four minutes later, you got another penalty and you can yeah. take a deep breath. But look, it's just, I don't know, mate, just Kiwi refs. There's only one thing that they obviously don't call on, and that's when, you know, you've got All Blacks or, you know, Crusaders or whatnot entering rucks like they're, you know, mm. stepping into a forklift or something like yeah. that or a jet plane or anything that you enter from the side, you know, with absolute reckless abandon. But Kiwi officials equal penalties. When yes. you've got Australian officials, you have, you know, a more of a beach-style carnival rugby where, you know, everything goes to shit really <laughs> quickly. 
but at least it's, you know, quite fluid. I mean, we don't always get... It's somewhat free-flowing. I mean, like, two-thirds of, of the calls are fair, but, like, it isn't like we have a nefarious attitude when we're going into refereeing these games, you know? It's kind of like, um, say, for example, you've got a boyfriend who's got ADHD. It's like him trying to organise your birthday. That's what it's like, you know? The intentions are there, but the execution is just absolutely fucking terrible. Shocking. I mean, it's just a little bit frantic and all over. Everything goes to shit, but at the end of the day, you had fun. Yes, and that yeah, and that's our style of refereeing. And it meant well, and it meant well. So, yeah, hopefully we can have somewhat better of a game for this third decider. Whether anyone's still watching it, I know a lot of my friends from the UK have pretty much given up on the series. It's bit of a write-off after looking forward to it for three or four years they, they reckon it's just been a huge disappointment but they come around like the bloody olympic games no. you can't not watch them I'm, i mean i've got nothing invested in this game other than mm. now i'm doing a podcast based entirely on the sporting code so i guess i should be watching these games yep. from start yep. to finish yeah, yeah. on stand of course no <laughs> other way to watch it Yada, yada, yada. But, um. And look, as you said, they come around like the Olympics and the Lions tours involving Australian teams. It's like watching the 4x100 mixed medley. And then the Lions games involving the Springboks are maybe more like the, the road race or the marathon, something like that. You know, not exactly fast paced. Yeah. You just tune in for that final couple of hundred metres and just see who gets over the line first. And there you go. You can say you watched it and you kept abreast of it and you'll be on to the next one in four years' time. I think it's worth just touching on the fact that while this game, you know, did keep the series alive, it was the second of two games, mm. which were, you know, not very exciting no. uh, to watch, especially especially when you have, you know, Olympic replays to watch mm. at 3.30 in the morning when you're trying to get your kid back yes. to sleep. I, mean, I think those are the types of things that you'd be watching. Yeah. But hopefully with this last game, we will be getting... I'd say, look, I'd say probably the best thing for this series, the absolute best thing that can happen out of this last game is for there to be a draw. Yes. And for this kind of series to just be relegated to having an asterisk yep. next to it uh, for the next three or four years. Maybe, maybe the niggle just boils over and we just have an all-in brawl and all 15 men get sent off and they just call the game off. And then you just go, yep, righto, 1-1. One, one. See you in 12 years' time. The Lions have changed their team, though, this weekend. It looks like they've got some more attacking talents there, so hopefully they do something with that. But anyway, we just yeah. we should move on to the Olympics because, as you mentioned, it is Olympic season. That's what everyone's talking about. We published our last episode with vain hope, uh, in hindsight, that our... Aussie boys would be getting the job done against the Fijians in the quarterfinals and that our Aussie women would be lifting the title after beating the Kiwis in the final. Unfortunately, both teams bounced out in the quarters by our Fijian brothers and sisters. Yeah, look, it's very hard for an Australian team to go back-to-back on anything unless it's the Queensland Mm. Rugby League team. I think... I don't think we're a very consistent sporting nation. I mean, we did have... A pretty dreadful campaign in Rio, and this one in Tokyo's been fantastic. Mm. But um, yeah. in terms of the gameplay, though, especially from the women's end, look, it's just you know these things happen yeah. in sport. Yeah, they they do happen. The couple of interesting points out of it for me is like obviously you could tell they were busting. Everyone was going as hard as they can. They were putting in maximum efforts. You know, sevens is the the most demanding game in terms of fitness and intensity and all that sort of stuff. 
So your hats go yeah. off to them and you applaud them and a good effort and they've been training and they the loss hurts them more than you know it hurts anyone else. But the interesting thing for me is we failed at quarterfinal level, which which is a failure. I think everyone will admit that's a failure. But we've re-signed our men's and women's coaches. We re-signed them just yeah. before the Olympics and we're going to have them on for another few years, I believe until the next Olympics. Now, yeah. the women haven't won a series for a couple of years, like one of those tournaments. They haven't won for a couple of years. Um, yep. We got pumped by the Kiwis in five of the six games before the Olympics. We lost to Fiji. We've been having some pretty bad results. The men's have been on a downward spiral for the last couple of years. Now, as we yeah. said, the effort levels are there. Everyone's putting in. We've got some talented players. Surely we have a little bit of a look at what's going on at a coaching level if we're getting bounced in the quarterfinals after losing pool games that we probably should have won. We should have beaten Argentina. The women should have beaten the US in the pool games and maybe you would argue they yeah. should have beaten Fiji in the um, quarterfinals. But as you said, oh, you don't know. Um, it's Yeah, I think it's an interesting one that we're just re-signing the coaches uh, after after that Olympic performance. Yeah, well, look, I hold the view that, you know, rugby sevens, Rugby, you know, is a lot like, you know, T20 cricket, you know, it's just, it essentially comes down to luck on the day. I mean, really, like, I don't even know if there are specialist rugby seven coaches, are there? Yeah, yeah, there's a few. There's like, that, that Kiwi guy who took the Fijians to their Olympic title last time around. Um, I'd say that's probably got more to do with uh, the cattle than the farmer on that. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, very fair. On that front. They did go back to back without him. Because Fijians are built to play sevens rugby. Mm. I mean, they are just a cut above anyone else. It's just like, it's unfathomable yeah. how good they yeah. are. Yeah. They just have that explosive athleticism. They have that, you know, rugby panache. Mm. They have the intelligence. They're just the complete rugby sevens package. Yeah. The ability to just throw the ball backwards, sideways, wherever, without looking and just know that someone will catch it and yeah. then do a little jinx step it's, and run under the post and score. It's essentially playing basketball backwards and you aren't allowed to bounce the ball. That's what it yeah. is. It's just <laughs> raw, unbridled athleticism. They're built built for the game. And that was the silver lining, I think, out of this whole Olympic campaign is at least the Fiji men's, they got it done. The Fiji women who knocked us yeah. out, they got the bronze medal. You don't mind seeing that. It was good to see the Fijians get the job done and perform well. That was, I think, the silver lining out of this one. Yeah, I mean... It's just further evidence that Kiwi rugby is on the decline. Yep. I mean, it's just, they are the shrinking violet of sport. I mean, it's just, it's sad to see such a great rugbying nation Mm. just capitulate and fall into itself. These things come and go, Mm. you know, like I'd say that Australian rugby is coming into its La Nina. It's been a very long and brutal El Nino. And I think that, uh, (laughs) that the Southern Ocean Oscillation Index is starting to tip against the Kiwis. I think... You know, their house prices have gone through the roof. Unemployment in New Zealand is somewhere up towards like 80 or 90%. There's only 19 people on the North Island who actually have a job. They're starting fights with China as well. It's sad to see what was such a great nation mm. just lose their far lap, you know, which was their rugbying powers. Mm. It's, I don't know what's going to happen yeah, to them. It is, it is sad. And I think the shame is that we need a strong Kiwi rugby setup. You know what I mean? Like for Australian rugby to survive, it's better for us to have... Kiwis being competitive and staying in matches and staying yeah. in tournaments. So, yeah, it is a shame that we're seeing that decline. Um, Which um, 
I think really brings us on to the biggest sporting event in the world, mm. which takes place the end of this week, yeah. Wendell. Forget the closing ceremony. We've got the Bledisloe Cup. Yeah. Just quickly, I just wanted to ask you, Errol, before... You mean the yawning ceremony? <laughs> the yawning ceremony. <laughs> uh, no, thanks. I'm going to watch the Wallabies take on the All Blacks at Eden Park. But just quickly before we get to that one, Errol, I wanted to get your thoughts on the reports that the Rugby Sevens men's team and the Ollie Roos have been playing up a little bit on the Qantas flight home from the Olympics a couple of days ago. Apparently uh, well, got a bit pissy, mate. got a bit rowdy, left the toilets in a not-great state. What'd you make of that one? Yeah. Well, look, this is what happens when you mix, you know, highly strung athletes who haven't really, you know, had the chance to mix sport with, you know, antisocial amounts of alcohol like the rest of society does. These people have spent months and months, often years, off the grog. You know, they're just training their little hearts out, trying to get some Aussie gold, mm. and then they get to the pinnacle of their competition, doesn't go their way, so what's the first thing that they do? They go down to their local 7-Eleven, down the road from the Olympic Village, mm. and they get every Tokyo Ted in the fridge, yep. and they take them back to their room and they drink them until they can't see straight yep. anymore. And look, people, when they're on aeroplanes, do stupid things. Yes. And I mean, it doesn't help that this nation was built on great traveling sport yarns, mm. such as, you know, the unsinkable Doug Walters yes. allegedly finishing 48 cans of full strength beer on the way to England. And then that record was allegedly surpassed uh, by David Boone, who was said to consume 52 cans of full-strength yes. beer yep. uh, between Singapore and London mm. in, uh, what was it, 1988. Look, I think with stories like that, it's always going to end in this way. I'm not saying this is a bad thing, a disgraceful thing. Yes, it is revolting, and they shouldn't be behaving like that, especially when they're not flying on a Qantas plane because you're forcing other people from other countries to clean up after you. Mm. And if you're a sportsman who's just bled for his country, you're coming home, I think a little bit of piss on the seat's not going to worry too many people. But look, no, if, yeah, it's, if it's definitely... you're coming home on the Japanese flag carrier mm. after they've been so grateful to have you over there, that's beyond the pale for me. Yeah, it's an interesting one. It's the the days of looking on at the, the larrikinism and the boys playing up on the aeroplanes seem to be over. And look, I think too much is demanded of athletes. I mm. mean, athletes are inherently antisocial people. Yes. They do not mesh well with the rest of society, which is why they throw themselves into sport yes. where, you know, they have a position, they have routine, they have things like that. You know, if they get good enough, then they go away to the... AIS, mm. and then they get their meals made for them. They get their little bed. They get their allowance. They go to the gym. Mm. They go to practice. They go to the gym. They go to the fucking dining yeah. hall. They go to fucking sleep. They have to be built different. When athletes are thrown amongst the wild, things will always end badly. <laughs> when they're left to their own devices. I mean, the other thing, actually, that I would say is that if the boys were bringing home a gold medal, I don't think anyone would be complaining, would they? No one would be saying anything. No, It'd be no. like, you know go for your lives the fact that yeah they're coming home after a quarterfinal loss i think some people are going mm, well you know well look i think a suitable punishment for these people is not to go to the nice howard springs quarantine facility where you've got you know like a back terrace to yourself i know that when i was coming back from hong kong last year we had a 
an outdoor area, you know, there was space, mm. you know, it, it wasn't like being in a hotel. It was, in you know, vacuum sealed. Rooms. It was a nice place to be. I think the putting the sevens and the Ollie Roos into hotel quarantine at the travel lodge on the edge of the airport in Brisbane would be a sufficient punishment. Ooh, yeah. One of those locked up rooms and then, but yep. then take them out the next morning to clean the vomit off the toilets and the piss off the seats then they can do that with a bit of a hangover yeah. you know like you, how you got taught as a teenager when you messed up and you did something like that like right mate these are the consequences that's what you got to go and deal with maybe that's what should have been done with them but anyway yeah we will get on to the the fixture of the year the fixture that we always look forward to and this time with you know rightful optimism rightful hope because we are playing the All Blacks and we're playing them two times to kick off the Bledisloe Cup series at Eden Park, a ground where historically we have had a lot of success. Yeah, and just announced today too, um, we will be winning this Bledisloe Cup series uh, at home in Perth. Oh yes, which is one of the nation's great rugby fortresses. Yep. And um, look, I think uh, the first game at uh, Eden Park, we're going to get up mm-hmm. and we're going to win. And um, the next game at Eden Park, where you, we might not win. I'm not going to get my hopes up. I think that the Kiwis love to bounce back. I mean, they love it, you know, when there's not too much pressure because historically, you know, the All Blacks have been arguably the world's worst sporting team when pressure is applied. Yep. Um, but yeah, look, I think this upcoming Bledisloe series has all the key ingredients to be one of the great sporting contests of modern history. Yeah, yeah. Let's hope so. The boys have said um, in Wallaby camp that they're they're looking forward to playing at Eden Park. They're relishing the opportunity to play at Eden Park, which is good to hear. There is going to be a crowd in there, which is unfortunate. Um, and, yeah, that second game is being played at Eden Park because, as I think we mentioned on the show last week, there is a Beer Varna Festival being held Um down at mm. the other ground. So, unfortunately, due to scheduling, they had to play both games at Eden Park, which is um, something that they didn't want to do, I don't think. I think they did want to take a game well, somewhere else. Man, it just shows that they are terrified. Mm. The Kiwis are absolutely terrified. So, what are they going to do? They're going to play two games where they know that they have the best chance of winning. Yeah. And, look, that's just my read from it. But, look, I think the fact that the Kiwis have done this, you know, that's like when you're having a staring contest and they look away. Mm. You know, I think... The pressure has been applied to the Kiwis, yep. and and notably, because just just imagine, just imagine if they lose at Eden Park. Oh yeah, to us. And and this is um, one thing I noticed about how frightful they are ahead of this weekend. Andrew Mertens, a friend of the show and uh, columnist and pundit here in Australia, he actually came out this weekend and said that. Throwing Quade Cooper into the foray against the All Blacks this weekend would be a mistake, and they shouldn't do it. And the Wallabies should refrain from uh, from giving Quade Cooper the nod ahead of this Bledisloe Cup showdown, which I think I think shows just how scared across the ditch they are of Quade Cooper and the Wallabies taking this Bledisloe Cup away from them over there in uh, in New Zealand. Yeah, look, and I think that you know Andrew Merton's absolute merchant of. Uh the mind games. He didn't rise to the top of uh, the rugby pond by being dumb. Mm. You know, he's he's a very intelligent man, very good at Sudoku, mm. uh, as I've been told by many people. But look, um, I'm going to have to respectfully uh, disagree with uh, with Mertz on this one. I think if he knew a thing or two about Australian rugby, and uh, you know, I think Andrew Mertens doesn't know what it takes to beat an All Blacks <laughs> team because he, he's never beaten 
the All Blacks yeah, before. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. He's just trying he to gaslight no us out of starting Quade Cooper um, and, yeah. and the historic return of one of Australia's great fly halves. Yeah. So we've got all that to look forward to. And hopefully we don't get a red card in the fourth minute. Um, well, you know... We do have a track record of going on to famous wins after we lose um, arguably our most key attacking player yeah. in uh, Marika Corabetti. <laughs> but look, it's uh, in saying that, maybe maybe something that we can allow to happen in the third game. The first game, we're going to need him uh, you know, absolutely mm. 100% strength, hot and warm, yep. straight off the attack bike, straight up the tunnel and you know, straight over the top of a couple of uh, black jerseys. Yep, and then putting a big, big shot on whoever they line up at number 10 for the All Blacks just to let them know that Bledisloe Cup's coming home. Yeah. It's coming home, uh, finally. Unlike for England, the Bledisloe Cup is coming home and our sport... Above all, though, I just hope that the Kiwi fans, you know, behave themselves yeah. this time. I mean, like, like, we just... Most times that we play in Auckland, you know... the. The fans are quite disrespectful. I mean, there are you know, there's lots of whooping and hollering that come from uh, that come from the stands. You know, when we're trying to take kicks and whatnot. But look, I just, I just want this to be a fair and honest rugby contest for the ages, and I just hope that the Kiwi fans understand the gravity of what it means to play a Bledisloe Cup. I want them to understand, you know, the emotion attached to winning a Bledisloe Cup because I think they've lost it. They've taken it for granted. You reckon? Kiwi rugby will be richer for losing the Bledisloe Cup. Yeah, world rugby will be richer. We'll all be richer. It's what we need. So hopefully we can we can get it rolling this weekend with a win, and we'll be happy, happy uh, rugby fans at seven o'clock on a on a Saturday evening. Yeah, look, I, I might even go down to the pub for it. I mean, I mean, these last couple games, I've been watching them at you know at home on stand in the comfort of my living room up here in the Diamantina Shire, the wind blowing, terrible gale outside, cold when it gets dark. But look, I think uh, in light of what's happening in, you know, in less civilised parts of the country like Sydney and Brisbane, um, you know, I, I think it would be rude of me not to take advantage of my ability to simply go outside and enjoy a beer off the wood Absolutely. down at the Lord Batuta Hotel. In, but, uh, enjoy the freedoms of a cold schooner, uh, draft beer in a nice schooner glass, Enjoy it while we can. Oh, they yeah. seem to be doing their best, places like Brisbane and Sydney, to ruin that for us. So, yeah, I, I reckon, Errol, you're right. Let's get out. Let's enjoy it. Let's bump the Olympics and the NRL off the main screens and let's enjoy yeah. a famous, famous Blood is Low Cup victory on Saturday night. I reckon we'll do them mm. by a converted try. Yeah, yep, I think I so. I reckon it'll be... Uh... 21 plays, 15. Right. I reckon I'll go... Um, That's my tip. We'll have a kick to win it in the last couple of minutes, and I reckon we'll get up 21-19. Well, you know, both of those things are, uh, are fantastic. But, um, yeah, either option is I good. Think, uh, Happy with either. <laughs> we're in the best form. You know, this is the best chance that we've had to get the Bledisloe Cup back since 2002. Absolutely, Errol. Filled with hope, filled with optimism. It's uh, the best week to be a Wallabies fan leading into Bledisloe Cup 1. So, I mean, there's one guaranteed. This will be a tight series. Tight It'll be series. very tight. Yes, yes, yes. There won't be any blowouts at all. So we'll, no. uh, we hope you enjoy the lead into the Bledisloe Cup. It's always, as we said, filled with hope and optimism. So enjoy that while it lasts. And we'll be back again to wrap it all up and dissect the big stories next week. Won't we, Errol? Yes, and just a quick... Shout out to Matt Giddo and Adam Ashley Cooper. Thanks for all you've done for the code, boys. It's been an absolute ride to watch you 
play the game for what seems like decades. Mm. But, uh, and congratulations to the Randwick Giltinis for getting involved. Well